and more grace than we can possibly imagine. And Father, oh, how we need that grace of Jesus Christ. Father, I don't know what condition any one of us uh, may have come in here this morning, alert or exhausted, Father, joyful or brokenhearted, expectant, maybe, Lord, even resistant. Father, I pray that you would sweep all of that away, that you would deal with our hearts in whatever way you need to so that we can concentrate fully on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the faith, the author and the finisher of the salvation uh, that we, uh, Lord, that we treasure, that we cherish, that some here this morning still need. And Father, having lifted our voices to you in worship, we now turn to your word and ask that, Lord, that not I or anyone else would be the teacher, but that you would be the one who teaches our hearts today. Father, may your word be what exactly what it says it is, living and active, sharper than any sword, piercing us to the, the very depth of our being, Lord, to uncover what doesn't need to be there, or to, to open us to the grace and the, and the joy and the hope that we, that we need and can have in your Son. But Father, for anything good to happen in the next little while, we, as always, need your Holy Spirit. And so we invite your Spirit to come and guide us in truth. Father, for your word is truth, and we need to know the truth. We ask your Spirit would come and guard us from misunderstanding and error. Father, that we wouldn't be led astray. We ask for your Spirit to deliver our, our hearts from apathy and indifference, from impatience. Father, from anything else that we carried in with us, so that for the next little while, as we study your word, we might see Jesus. Father, may we see Jesus clearly this morning. May we see Jesus only this morning. Father, may we leave today singing the praises of our cornerstone, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And as you do so, we'll take a moment and uh, dismiss the kiddos for Children's Church. If you have boys and girls, our five-year-olds up through our second graders, uh, they are welcome to go be part of our children's church ministry for the next little while as we get into God's Word. And if you're not one of those making your way out of the room, make your way into God's Word. If you have a Bible, I want you to take it out and turn in it with me, not to the book of Acts, as has been our custom lately. Uh, as we mentioned to you last Sunday, hopefully if you weren't here last Sunday, you caught up with this news uh, via email or some other way. We're, we're going to take it, I'm going to explain this in just a moment, a bit of a break from our study in the book of Acts for the next few weeks. Uh, to talk about just some family business as a church, kind of where God has us and some of the things that he is doing among us right now. And if you have no idea what that's all about or, or you're visiting today, I'm going to do my best in the next few minutes to sort of bring you up to speed and introduce you to what the next few weeks here at Maranatha are going to be about. And rest assured that we're going to be going about things a little bit differently than we, than we normally do. We are still very much committed to using this time as a study of God's word. Uh, so we're not going to venture from that whatever, we're just going to talk about some different things and then we'll return to our study uh, in the book of Acts in fairly short order. But where I want you to go in your Bible this morning, if you have it, is the book of Joshua. The Old Testament, I want you to go to the book of Joshua, specifically chapter 4. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 4, where in a few minutes I'm going to share a story with you. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. It's part of one of my favorite stories in all of God's word, the book of Joshua, that it's going to sort of set the table for where... Uh, we are headed in the scriptures this morning. So Joshua 4 is where you want to be. And as you're making your way there, let me just start this morning by saying to you that as you know, if you're part of our church family, if you don't, uh, you are coming in in the middle of something that's been going on for a while, so I apologize that you are maybe less informed than the rest of us. 
But if you're part of Maranatha Bible Church and you've been here for some time, you know that we've spent an awful lot of time over the past few months praying about, uh, fasting over, and discussing, especially among leadership but among the church body as well, the possibility of acquiring a building that sits right across the street. If you did not notice it coming in when you walk out the front door today, you will see it sitting there across 3rd Avenue. We have been praying about the possibility of acquiring that building as a way to meet our need for additional ministry space. Now, we started doing this back in January when we came to you, one of our elders specifically came to you, and asked if you would just begin praying with us and fasting with us once a week if you were willing to do so, if God so moved your heart, about two things. It was a twofold request, and it stayed that way for quite some time. Request number one was simply this, that that building, that the owner of that building across the street would be willing to sell it to us. It was not listed for sale at that time, but we began praying that he would be willing to sell it to us. And then the second part of the request was that 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 building across the street would be made available to us at a price that our church family can afford. And for an awful long time, we didn't come to you saying anything else except just keep praying. We didn't have elder minutes. We didn't have updates. We certainly didn't talk about it from the pulpit. And that's for one very simple reason. We didn't have anything to tell you. For the first few weeks and even the first couple of months, it looked from all external signs like, like nothing much was happening. But in a fashion consistent with how God often works, and if you've been a believer very long, you know this, things were happening. They were happening and transpiring behind the scenes, things we couldn't see, things we had no involvement in or control over, things that we have only very recently become aware of. First and foremost, and I believe we've shared this with you in some respect, but if you were not aware of it already, the first part of the request we began praying for has essentially been answered. That building across the street that was not for sale now is, and we had nothing to do with it. We didn't prompt, we didn't inquire, we didn't ask, we simply learned that the building across the street that we are interested in is now officially on the market. Since then, we've also learned that the owner is interested in selling it to us. That we don't know what that means, and we don't know what that involves, but he knows of our interest, we know of his willingness, and, and we believe that the owner of that building desires to see something happen very soon, if possible. And so with that, and, and a whole lot more in mind, We've prayerfully concluded among the elders and the deacons and, the, and, and those of us on staff that the time has come just to step away briefly from our study in the book of Acts and talk about what we think God is doing. How God we think is working in our midst, how God we think is working on our behalf, and about what we believe God may be asking of us next. But in a fashion consistent with how we often do things around here at Maranatha, we're going to do it in a bit, at least for starters, in a bit of an unconventional way. Now, at some point, as you might expect, you may, might even be anticipating, we'll talk about money because buildings cost money. But we're not going to do that today, and we're really not going to do that for the first couple of weeks. Money is often something that we have to talk about and refer to in order to acquire new space. But we're not going to be talking about money. We're not going to be talking about giving yet. Because first, we want to do something, and we want to make something very clear. And it is the conviction that is printed on the screen as you see it behind me, that everything we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, whether it deals with money or buildings or, or ministry or whatever else, all falls under or flows from this conviction. It is as follows, that it's not about the building. In fact, we're so convinced of that, I want you to say it with me like you mean it. On three. One, two, three. It's not about the building. Very good. Because you see, while a building of some sort is what we need, we need a place to do more ministry space, and in the world we live in, buildings are the places where you do that sort of thing. A building 
any building is not what we're about as a church. And it's not why we exist. It's not what we are here to do. Instead, we are here above all else. This has always been the truth, and by God's grace, it always will be. We are here to proclaim the gospel. We are here to preach God's word. We are here to worship Jesus Christ. And we are here to work with, to come alongside anyone who desires to do so and help them move toward maturity in him. We are here for the Lord. We are here to teach his word. We are here to glorify him and to make disciples. And that, despite anything else or uh, along with anything else we say to you over the next few weeks, is the firm foundation and conviction of what we want you to know. It's not about the building. It's about Jesus Christ. And so for that reason, before we can really begin talking with you and to you about what we think we need and how we think God's working, we have come to the conviction that it's important to take a step back. Just a step back a little bit about where we have been in the past, about how God has worked among us in the past, about great things that God has done, ordinary things and extraordinary things over the course of the 35 years that this church has been an actual church family. And so that's why, as you saw in the bulletin perhaps, you can see on the sermon notes stuck in there this morning, the title of this morning's sermon is History Lesson. You may be a fan of history, you may have dreaded history, either way you're going to get some history from God's word, but also from us here today. We're going to give you an account of what God has done so far in the life and in the story of this particular church. And that's why I've invited you to turn to Joshua chapter 4. Because the deal here in Joshua chapter 4, some of you may know the story, others of you may not, that's fine. But the deal here in Joshua chapter 4 is that the children of Israel, or we're picking it up, at this point about 2 million strong, have just crossed, miraculously crossed the Jordan River. They had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. After that, they spent 40 more years wandering in the Middle Eastern wilderness. But at last, after God had moved Moses, or uh, Moses had gone home to be with the Lord, he'd moved Joshua into a position of leadership, God had finally brought them home. He did it in a manner similar to what he did at the Red Sea. The Jordan River is at flood stage. God stops the flow of the river, dries out the riverbed in front of the people, the Jordan River, and all two million people safely cross on dry land, from one side to the other, to the home that God had promised them. And once everyone had crossed the riverbed safely, this is what we're told next, Joshua 4, verses 1 through 8. Follow along in your Bible if you have one. If not, the words are on the screen. It says, Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan and the place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. That was the ark of the covenant. Priests were standing in the middle of the riverbed holding the ark of the covenant while the river remained dry. He said, Go back to where the priests are standing with the ark. And each one of the twelve of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask you later, saying, What do these stones mean? You shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever." 
Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. So the idea here is really very, very simple. God told Joshua, have 12 men go back to the riverbed. Each of them pick up a stone, carry it back over to the promised land side of the river, and set them down. And in a manner consistent with memorials we're familiar with. You've seen gravestones. You've seen war monuments. You've seen historical markers signifying something really important happened here once upon a time. God said to Joshua, take 12 stones and set them up in a way that it's going to get people's attention. Why? So that in future generations, when Israelite parents are walking their Israelite children along the banks of the Jordan River, and they see these stones, and they say, hey, mom and dad, what are these stones all about? Those parents, those older generations, have the opportunity to tell the next generation about something great that God did for them. The remarkable story of how their awesome God brought them safely home, kept the promise that he had made to them. In other words, those 12 memorial stones were set on the riverbank to declare for generations to come how God did something only God could have done and how he did it for his people. And that's what we are going to do here today in the rest of our time together in the sermon. And for that reason, this sermon is going to be unlike any sermon I've ever preached before. And it worked in the first service, so I'm pretty sure it's going to work in the second. And the deal is this, in just a minute I'm going to take a seat and over the course of the next little while, two of our elders, Gary Barker first and then Perry Schof, are going to come and the three of us together are going to tell you some stories. We're basically going to point to three memorial stones in the life of our church family. Three things that God has done in the past, three seasons in the life of our church when we believe God did something only God could do. That God did something only he could have done because one thing the Bible makes clear is there's great power and great value in telling great God's stories. Reminding the people of God what he has done. So we're going to tell you, first of all, Gary's going to come in just a moment and tell you the story of how our church began 35 years ago and how God was centrally involved in that. I'm going to come back up then and tell you the story of how we landed in this location and the miraculous things God did to bring that about. And finally, Perry's going to tell you what's been happening since. And why we are where we are today. So this is different, but that's okay. We're going to use Joshua's example. We don't have 12 memorial stones, but we have three. The first, Gary's going to bring. Gary, why don't you come on up right now? If there were a memorial stone here this morning, there isn't. If I'd had time to make one and etch words on it, it would say memorial stone number one. We'll put it on the screen instead in the beginning. Here's the story of how we got our start. I'm really uh, sorry that uh, Aaron mentioned gravestones because at my age, gravestones scare me. (laughs) And not only that, we have flowers in front of here and they frighten me to death. So I think they took the oldest to go first. Actually, uh, Maureen and uh, myself and Jerry and Ruth Ann Eccles were at the first meeting of Maranatha Bible Church when when it first started and I think Bill Kirkpatrick and Marge were at the second meeting. The year was 1979. That's the beginning. We were attending uh, another Bible church in Cedar Rapids, and they found fit to uh, resign their pastor. And uh, 
because of uh, some things that were going on in that church, uh, some people who were interested in getting another work started uh, asked him if he could come and preach. Uh, so he resigned on uh, October 27th, and on November 4th, we had our first meeting. We got our call Saturday night, the night before the 4th that there's going to be a service, and it's going to be at uh, uh, Marion Farmers and Savings Bank. So we had, had a basement room there, and we met in that building. Uh, in the basement, there were almost 140 people there that first Sunday. Not all 140 people were there the next Sunday, but there was a, there was a, uh, a starting point. And it looked like it was going to go. We were all interested. We, we uh, uh, met the second Sunday, and a steering uh, committee was formed. And within two weeks, the incorporation papers were settled, and uh, we needed to find a building to meet in. And the steering committee found a, a building that was called Bowman Woods School, which was actually Bowman Woods School, uh, we met in the gym, and we had Sunday school in the hall, and we had Sunday school in the teacher's lounge, and we had no chairs. And we, we, each week we would, uh, we would rent chairs from a rental company. They'd bring a trailer over full of chairs. We'd pull them out, set up the, sanctu the sanctuary, which was the gym. We'd roll out a piano that they let us use, and we had church. And we had Sunday school. Uh, the Sunday schools were on the floor, blankets, because there weren't chairs in the Sunday school rooms or in the halls. Uh, we called it the Church of the Carry It All In, because we carried it all in. Uh, we did use their piano, but we, did, and, but we didn't have any music. So everyone who belonged to that church bought their own hymnal so we didn't have to carry hymnals in. This is a hymnal, by the way. For those of you who were born after 1990, these are actually songbooks. There's actually music in here. You can read, and the words are there with you. Anyway. We had our own hymnals, and uh, Reagan Benedict was our pastor. We met there for, uh, at the school for about a year or so. Uh, we were approached by a, a, a church in Marion. The name was Meth uh, Bethel Baptist Church. And uh, they had a building, and they had very few people worshiping there, and they had essentially no children. We had tons of kids, even in our small, in our small uh, as small as we were. And they had chairs. That's not why we wanted to merge, but they did have chairs. So we, we did uh, talk to them, and we did merge into Maranatha Bible Church. They merged into, that, uh, into our, our church. And we met there and had a great time of worship together. Uh, and uh, uh, it, was a, it was a very old building. It was uh, very hard to heat, and it had almost no Sunday school space. And we had a lot of kids at that time. 
Does that strike a familiar pattern? We have a lot of kids now, we have no space. Same problem. Uh, the, uh, the church was very missionary minded at the very first, even when we met at the school and when we, uh, we had small groups. Uh, we had Colossians 2-7 groups. Right within a, within a week or within a month, we were having small groups. Uh, we, were ha- we were very missions oriented, and so we had missions missionaries right off the bat. And I remember out in that church, the church was kind of built like a teepee. It had a, sort of went up like that, and in the center there was a, whatever they call it, that holds the building together. We had a missionary that came in there, and uh, he had a blowgun, and he had this dart, and he stuck that dart right in this thing that hung around in the middle of the thing, and when we left that building, that dart was still there. Because <laughs> if the sermon got really bad, you could look at the dart. <laughs> luckily, we didn't have very many bad sermons, and luckily, it never fell on anybody's head. But we were, we were very oriented to children's ministry, to small group, and to missions, and to preaching the word. That was the mandate from the very beginning. Preach the word, learn our skills, learn our talents, and use them for evangelizing and to, to have missions. Very hard to heat. We were spending $1,000 a month in the winter trying to keep the place warm. And it had very, and it had, the basement was like one room almost, and the, the nursery was, it looked like, uh, a prison. There were there were stacks of uh, cribs there, and if you got your kid out, you had to pay lucha. It looked it really looked bad. Anyway, we uh, another church building came became available, and that was a church on twenty first twenty fifth Street, and it happened to be the New Covenant Church, and they had bought a schoolhouse, and they were going to sell. And that's a picture of that building as it is today. Uh, the, uh, we were able to sell the old building in Marion, and we actually were able to purchase that building without debt. God was faithful all along here. We did really good in that. We thought we had a lot of space, but uh, we found out we didn't have so much space. And, but we did uh, minister in that building for... 10 years or so. Uh, We had several pastors. Um, We we really grew. Most of our pastors were from Dallas Seminary, uh, and we really grew. God uh, sort of thinned us out a couple of times because we had a couple of splits because we did not follow God's plan. Uh, We hired a pastor who was not from Dallas, that was not the problem. But uh, he, his, he was a little off on our doctrine, and we thought we could get along, and we couldn't. And we went from 150, uh, 200, down to about 50 people because of a split. But I'll tell you what. We were down to 50 people, and we never missed a missionary payment. And we, our, our, our missionary budget was 25%. Of the other thing, we never missed a check because people gave, and God was faithful because of His people. We had a great time in that in that building, but it got uh, 
it got uh, small. And uh, we, we tried everything we could to get some classroom space, and we didn't get it. And, and we ended up looking for someplace else, and Aaron's going to talk to you about that. I want to tell you a story. Uh, there are so many stories of how God was faithful over there. Faithful in telling us that we were wrong because we, he split us up. But he was also faithful in blessing us. He gave us a building without debt. While we were there, we bought land on, 13, on Highway 13. And within two years, we had it paid off. It was clear. So God was so faithful in giving us people who were faithful to him. And that's, the, that's what Maranatha is. I remember when uh, one of the families in our church was flooded out in the 2008. One Sunday, we took up an offering, $23,000 in one Sunday. Now that's, that's faithfulness of the people of God just doing what they need to do to take care of them, themselves. And it's happened with a fire. We did the same thing. You know, God is so faithful for us, or to us. We were, uh, as I said, we had, uh, Reagan Benedict was our first pastor. He was Dallas grad. Uh, Steve Breedloff was our second pastor. He was a Dallas grad. Uh, Ed Davis was our third pastor. He was a Dallas grad. We thought when, uh, and then we tried something else. Uh, we tried another grad, and that's the one that didn't work. We were two years, two years without a pastor. And we had a, a guy, uh, several people from Emmaus, but a guy named Jim Catron came down from Emmaus to preach to us Sunday after Sunday. And he was an amazing man, and he's going to be with the Lord because he got a brain tumor. Uh, he would come down, and, I mean, he could just... He didn't even have notes for crying out loud. He would, uh, I remember one Sunday he came down and he said, I, I was going to talk about this today, but on the way down, about an in independence or something, I got, the, God said I needed to preach about something else. And he just opened up his Bible and preached about something else. Now, that's a man of God. And God blessed us with him. Two years we had him, and we had some others fill in along the way. Uh, when they couldn't get there. But we were looking for a pastor, and we were looking for a pastor, and we knew we didn't want to go through another problem like we had before. So what were our criteria for a pastor? We needed a Dallas grad. <laughs> <laughs> we, we needed somebody who was mature, who had churched people before, who had shepherded people before, who had a grown family, and who was older. So we looked and looked, and we, we, we interviewed all these people, and one day we had this kid preach. And he wasn't a Dallas grad. He was younger than the rest of us. He had one or two kids, and he certainly had not led a church before. He'd never even been a pastor. Well, that sort of went off our backs. We, that, we didn't, we're still looking for a Dallas grad, old man, you know. And then somebody said, well, what about that other guy? He, he did a pretty good job at when he was young. He, <laughs> he did a really good job. And we said, well, he's not a Dallas grad. How many of those things can we check off? And guess who we hired? 
Aaron. And we have never been sorry since because God had a plan. God had a plan for Maranatha Bible Church, I think, from the very start. In the beginning, 1979, God had a plan. Proverbs 16:9 says, the, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We always, always have to look, rely upon the Lord. And that's what we're trying to do with this building thing. It's not about the building. You know, there's still a school out there. There's no church in it. The church with the arrow in the ceiling is a parking lot. And the church we had before is a garden, looks like. Uh, and, I th and, it's, and it's for sale. It's not about the building. It's about the people in the building. It's about the ministry that happens in the building. Whatever building God gives us, we are a church that uses a building. Now, we would love to use that building across the street, but it's not about the building. It's about doing the ministry that God has talked to us, uh, talk, talk to us about doing. And we're trying to do it God's way this time. And uh, Aaron is going to take over now and try to cover up anything I just screwed up. not going to need to do that. Memorial stone number two. In the vein of Joshua chapter four, I call it crossing the river, crossing in this case the cedar. Israel crossed the Jordan. We crossed the cedar. The reason I say that is because six weeks ago, six years ago, next week, this building you're sitting in was under nine feet of water. Uh, you can still see signs of it. If you look around the, the perimeter of the stage, if you look on the sides, you can still see how high that water was. This building was like a thousand other city blocks in Cedar Rapids, a victim of the flood of 2008. And once those waters receded six years ago, it looked like this building, like a whole lot of other places in town, was not going to be fit to use for anything ever again. But five years ago, next month, we had our first worship service here. And we have been worshiping here as a church family in this particular building, Maranatha Bible Church, ever since. And I'm not kidding when I say sometimes I still stop and go, how in the world did that happen? How did God do that and bring it about? Well, in a very sort of brief nutshell, here's how it happened. As Gary said, we were in that building up on 25th Street, on the other side of the river, high ground, water-free. Uh, if we had problems, the flood wasn't one of them. But, but about mid-2007, we realized that, as Gary shared with you so many times before it happened, we were running out of space and running out of space fast. We didn't have enough classrooms. Asked Pastor Thad about the youth room and what that was like at the time. We had, I think, as you heard already, 14 parking places for our whole church family. And one thing we knew for sure was we couldn't stay where we were. Problem is we didn't have any other option. So we did the only thing we could do and the thing God's people are supposed to do when they don't know what to do, and that's pray. And we started to pray, and we started to pray hard. And through that prayer, that season of prayer, God led us to some conclusions. One of which was though we needed to move, we wanted to stay in town. We wanted to be a light somewhere within the general downtown area of Cedar Rapids. That meant we were going to have to buy a building most likely that already existed, a church building, a commercial building, something, and then fit it or refit it for our use. And so over the following several months, some of you remember this, we walked through an awful lot of buildings. And a lot of them were really nice and really decent places, but we always left saying that was nice, but it's not the one. We don't always feel that way right away, but we'd evaluate it. We'd look at our criteria and say that we just don't think, for whatever reason, that's where God wants us to be. 
And so we just went through that process, 2007, early 2008. Finally, in late May of 2008, Bud Hunter, longtime member of our church family, a deacon for many years, he was spearheading our search. He came to us and said, guys, I think I've got a good option for us, good possibility. It's a place downtown called Cedar Christian Church. He said they're a small little congregation in a great big building, at least for, for their purposes or for what they were doing. And he said they may be willing or looking to relocate. And, and so maybe we should go take a look at Cedar Christian Church, late May of 2008. We said that sounds like a good idea. Two weeks later, the biggest natural disaster since Hurricane Katrina hit downtown Cedar Rapids. It swamped this building. It filled it up with water. It filled it up with mud. And, and after the waters receded in and around this building, we sent a couple of very brave deacons into the building. They climbed in one window, and they climbed out another, and they came back to us and said, Guys, there ain't no way. That's where God wants us next. He's got something for us, uh, but it is not that place that they call, there's your basement right below us, there's, that's not Cedar Christian. So we crossed it off the list. Well, that fall rolled around, and we were still out of options. We knew it wasn't Cedar Christian, but we couldn't find anything else, and that's when we sensed that God was pressing us to take a step of faith. One of the things we learned as we had fasted and prayed together is that oftentimes in the scripture, God does great things for his people only after they take great steps of faith, trusting in him to do something. And we said, well, we think we need to do that. And we determined that our step of faith, and a lot of people, literally, I had people tell me, you are a crazy man. We decided to sell our old building, even though we didn't have any place to go. So we put our building on the market. We put our land on Highway 13 on the market. And we we actually said to each other, but it'll take a long time. Uh, But we're going to need the money at some point. We're going to have to move out at some point. So let's just get it on the market, get it out there. It's going to take a while. Once again, we were wrong. Two weeks later, we were handed a legitimate offer from a group called Ellis Community Church. They'd lost, they were right over there, just on the other side of First Avenue. They'd lost their building in the flood. They said, we need a place to meet, and we need it now. We like your building, we want to buy it. And they were ready to meet our price. <laughs> we began to pray once again, <laughs> to pray and consult and go back and forth. And, and after about six or eight weeks of very intense negotiations, a very stressful, prayerful time in the life of our church, we agreed. We actually voted as a church. We don't do this very often, but we actually voted And we voted on January 4th, 2009, unanimously to sell our building, our old building up on 25th Street, even though we had no place to go. We didn't know what we were going to do. We just knew God said, sell it. We only said to them, we need about six months. (laughs) Can you give us six months? We'll sell you our building. You can have our building. But we need that much time to look for something else. We said, we'll be out by July 1st. And they said, fine. They said, but we need a place right now, Ellis Community did. They said, can we start meeting in the building anyway? We prayed. God said, say yes. So we said yes. In the midst of all that, we had another church that had lost their building in the flood, New Life, Church of God in Christ. They had lost, they were right over there, just kind of beyond 6th Street a little ways. They lost their building in the flood through channels I still don't know to this day how they came about. One of their elders called me, said, we lost our building in the flood. We heard maybe we could share yours. We said, yes. (laughs) So suddenly, it made no sense whatsoever. We went from one church in a building we'd long ago determined was too small to three churches meeting in that building. Ellis came in on Saturday night. We came in on Sunday morning. New Life came in on Sunday afternoon. Sometimes they stayed till Tuesday. They just went on (laughs) and on and on, man, and it was fun. If you never went to a New Life service, man, you missed out. But that was a deal, and we were on the clock. We had six months. Find a place to go. We still had 
no leads. Keep in mind that because of the flood, everybody in town's looking for a building. Everybody in town needs a place to go. Families, building, businesses, churches. And there were a whole lot of them, and the guys remember this. There were a whole lot of elder deacon meeting Tuesday nights where if you'd have walked in, you'd have seen about 12 guys on their faces on the floor of our youth room. Bibles open. We were begging God, help. <laughs> Show us what to do. We don't know what to do. We sold our building. We cut the moors, uh, moorings away, and we got a sale. We got to have somewhere to go, and we had no options. And about that time, and this is the way God works, this building reemerged on our radar screen. Bud came back to us one night. He said, guys, you won't believe this, but I think God's been doing something while we weren't paying attention. He said, all winter and spring long, the Disciples of Christ denomination that, that was this building, this church family was part of, have been sending work teams. They've sent 10 to 20 people every week for months. They're going to do it all summer long. They've mucked out the building. They're putting it back together. It looks great. And, and I think that if we approach them, they might, uh, they might let us use it. And, and we were kind of blown away by that. We thought, well, that's very, very interesting. So we made some phone calls. And we began to have some meetings. And, and about mid-April, we got very, very serious about talking with Cedar Christian Church. That's who met here at the time about leasing this building. That process unfolded. Lots of prayers and fasting went on. And on May 5th, now I want you to listen to this timeline, okay? You don't need to maybe jot it down, but I want you to listen to it. On May 5th, 2009, we once again came together we agreed, we voted that we wanted this building, that we would lease it from Cedar Christian for a period of two years, May 5th, 2009. We had to be out of our building by July 1st. We're like, cool, that's great. They came back to us and said, that's great. I think we'd like to lease it to you. However, our church constitution requires three weeks wait before we can vote on your offer. So you're just going to have to wait for three weeks. So we waited. We did a lot of praying in those three weeks. We had a lot of preparation, a lot of fasting, a lot of stuff going on, just waiting. Finally, on, on uh, May 26, 2009, Cedar Christian voted. They said, you can have our building. You can have it for two years, and then we'll see what happens. That gave us 37 days to get our whole building packed up, to get the whole operation together, and move downtown, cross the river, and come into this place but it wasn't, and this is how God works. We had to be out by July 1st. It was Friday, June 26th when we finally got the approval from the city to move in. That's when the inspector came. The only reason the inspector came that day is because Heidi, our church secretary, realized he hadn't come yet. She called, I think it was about the noon hour, the lunch hour, and said, where's the inspector? Well, he's not planning on it. He's going, taking the afternoon off. He said, get him down to this building. And he walked through. He looked it over, and he said, you can move in. And a lot of you remember what happened that Sunday, June 28th. We had our last service up at the old building. Didn't do that first service, sorry. We had our last service. It was cool. We came in jeans and shorts and t-shirts and work boots. We had worship. We said amen, and then we literally tore everything that wasn't bolted to the floor out of that place. We threw it all on trucks. We caravaned downtown this massive, we probably looked like the Israelites, pots banging on the sides of trucks and stuff. <laughs> Crossed the river, unpacked by 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon. We were ready to worship here the next Sunday. It was done done. A year later, we decided we liked the place so much, we decided, you know, we think we ought to buy it. So we voted again, 90% plus approval. Our church family said, buy the building. God gave it to us debt-free, debt-free. Two years later, we've been here ever since. And God has been faithful to us ever since. We don't know why God did that. We just know this is where he wants us. It's where we knew he wanted us then. We still believe it's where he wants us now. 
And as Perry's about to come and talk to you about the third memorial stone, hopefully you're going to see over the next few minutes why we think this is still where God wants us and how he's led us to that decision. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to finish with the same thing Gary essentially said at the end of his memorial stone. God is faithful. God takes care of his people. And when we seek him and we do it his way, he provides. And that's what we're still seeking to do today, as unconventional and as odd as it may seem. We believe God will be faithful again. So Perry, why don't you come on up? We've got a third memorial stone. Again, in the vein of the story of the book of Joshua, we've labeled this one Settling the Land, what God has us here for now. First service, uh, someone mentioned, and I thought it was interesting, raise your hand if this is the only building you've ever met in with Maranatha. So this is a new story to many of you. I talked to Aaron earlier. He has a nice title for the message, but I think that maybe we need to think about titling it Information Overload because there's so much information. Uh, Just let me say first that I know that the information thus far has been scarce and slow, but there's been a reason for that. I think everyone is aware of our space needs, but the solution to that has been unfolding over the last two years. There have been so many unknowns and options that we didn't want to start rumors or get people's hopes up by telling them what we were thinking, only to see our plans change as we sorted things out. Now, however, we have some direction, and I want to share with you on how we got to today, Sunday, June 6, 2014. Over two years ago, we as elders started praying about our space issues, knowing that space, or the lack of it, was going again to create a serious situation, even though we had everything covered at that time. We were hoping to avoid the last-minute scenario of our past move. Guess we were pretty successful there, huh? So we started working on a solution almost immediately. After praying and talking, we came to the conclusion that we could not, or at least should not, stay here, even though we felt that we were led here and given this facility through miraculous means. We assumed this building had served its purpose, but it was time to move on. God has met our needs by bringing us here, but now he has other plans. We did not purchase the parking lot when we had an opportunity because we felt the money could be used more effectively elsewhere. We felt that the money might be used later, uh, especially since we currently, and by the way still, do have free use of that parking lot. That may change, but for now it appears we should be able to continue using the lot in the foreseeable future. We have no regrets, and we do not feel that we missed the boat in not purchasing it. We definitely feel that we have more pressing issues that will require require financial support that are more important than the parking lot might be right now. We have toured, toured at least a half a dozen properties since we started our search, maybe more. Several were promising, but nothing had given us a peace including Faith Bible Church's old building, which we looked at two or three times. And I just want to say that no, we did not miss the boat there either when it was sold to another body. For numerous reasons, we did not feel it was right, and we decided to pass on it. 
which opened the door for another Bible-believing church, Twin Pines, to purchase it to expand their ministry. In God's big picture, uh, they are preaching and spreading the word just like us, so that's been a blessing. We looked at a building in Marion, as well as several others in Cedar Rapids, but again, we just couldn't find anything that was a good fit. We then discussed building uh, a new structure on our property on Highway 13, but God never gave us a peace or a unity about that either. The next thing that came along as we were praying was a building on 33rd Avenue, the Grant Wood Building, which Tony Hocamp found for us. He had been advising us and doing our realtor work by helping us look at different properties when he came across the Grant Wood Building. Grant Wood Building, mentioned it to me, I drove by it, and came back to the elders and told them, I think I've got something. We looked at this building at least three times, and I think all of us were quite excited about the possibilities. We thought we'd found our new home. We even started getting some preliminary estimates on remodeling costs. It had lots of space. It had easy access, expansion possibilities, sufficient parking. It was wonderful, just wonderful. We thought our quest had been rewarded with success, but God had other plans and closed that door. Just before we got ready to do something, Grant Wood took the building off the market and decided to go ahead and use it themselves at the last minute. We were back to wandering in the desert, looking to put our toe in the water. Major bummer as far as I was concerned, I, for one, was really quite discouraged uh, about this, as the Grant Wood property seemed so right. We were back to the drawing board, and all we could say was, God, what are you trying to do here? What are you trying to teach us? Then we looked at the old Lincoln School building. And Thad, you'll be happy to know this was the first building that had a usable gym. He would have loved it, but it didn't have much else. It was an old building that needed major, major repairs and really had little else going for it. So now what? Our space needs were becoming more serious than they were when we started this quest, and we didn't seem any closer to a solution. Personally, I felt we were rapidly closing in on that last-minute scenario again, but then things started leaping forward. The first major breakthrough that God showed us was to change the elders' way of thinking. Originally, all of the elders had had a piece about moving to another location. Admittedly, some had reservations about leaving here, but we all felt it was the only reasonable answer that made any sense. We went out searching, but now, two years later, and after two years of searching, within two meetings and several weeks of praying, we realized that God had changed our minds and our hearts. We unanimously felt that we should stay put. There was nothing concrete to point to. We just knew that it's what we were to do, at least for now. And that was a 180-degree turnaround from our previous way of thinking. That was about the time we started to do some remodeling around here, like the kitchen, the foyer projects, and just taking care of things like that. And we also started looking into building a new educational wing like the one that we currently had. What else could we do? That seemed to be our best option. 
Again, we got some preliminary numbers on what that might cost and check to see what it would take to get the city on board to allow us to build here. As we were discussing this, build, as we were discussing this the building across the street was mentioned again. It had been brought up by several different elders over the last two years, but was pretty much dismissed, especially by me. At that time, we were not staying here, and so why look at this building? And buying it wasn't even a possibility. It was not for sale, and the rental space in it was not an option either, as the cost was way, way too much. Greg had already checked into that as a temporary solution for adult Sunday school. But maybe now, with our change of heart and staying, we began to think it might make sense, especially considering what new construction would cost. But like I pre previously mentioned, as did the others, it wasn't for sale. We began praying about this, and then we asked you, the congregation, to join us. We don't know exactly when, but shortly after we started praying, we found out the building was actually for sale. The owner had never communicated this to Greg in several conversations that he had had with him regarding the rental possibilities. When we found out that he had actually listed it, we immediately took the opportunity to arrange for a tour and look it over. Since then, Tony's helped Greg get permission to use the building for a few weeks for Sunday school so that we might try it on for size. This resulted in the new home for our adult Sunday school classes for a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago. So try it on for size we did. The building across the street has untold of, even now unthought of, possibilities. It would make a marvelous acquisition for us and a great addition to this facility. Marvelous does not come cheap, however. Everything we have considered moving to another location, building an educational wing, building on the land, or buying the building across the street costs millions of dollars, period. The only less expensive option we have is to basically do nothing. We could maintain this facility and change little. Growth is not our motivation, so doing nothing had to be considered. The elders do not have growth on our minds, but what is driving our quest for more space is that we are turning folks away because there's not a seat, primarily, once again, for the children. We do not feel this is acceptable for what the Lord would have us to do, and being good servants of what he has given us. We do not want to be satisfied with just holding on to what we have. We want to minister to all who will come and now we feel that it should be at this location. So, what's the plan? What's our next step? As you heard from Rick last week, we are in the process of how to go about financing and acquiring this property or whatever we would decide to do. We selected a committee, and one of the first things that committee needs to decide is whether we should go outside looking for professional help in raising funds or organize it from within using the resources and people we have here in our body, in this room. We realize that staying here is not the least expensive option, but it is by far not the most expensive either. We feel God has led us to decide that this is the right option 
regardless of the cost. Some things money can't buy, one of which is location, and we feel this is where God wants us to be, at least for now. The building across the street, while not being the least expensive option up front, will eventually provide us the least expensive per square foot usable space because of its size. It has nearly 26,000 square feet. Hopefully, with the future in mind, we will someday be able to use this entire space for our ministry. In the short term, we will endeavor to possibly rent some of the storefronts out, helping with our financial obligations on the purchase price. Perhaps God will have other plans. Wouldn't that be a surprise? We do know that our ministry has dollar limitations on what we can do without consuming us at the cost of our ministry, which needs to be avoided at all costs. So again, we need to be praying. First, that God would see fit to make the building available at a price that we can afford, or close the door and lead us in a direction we may or may not have yet considered. Quite honestly, the rest is going to depend on how God uses each of you to make this a reality. In closing, was discussing with my wife, Jane, and in her Bible studies, they're looking at different things and how they can paraphrase scripture verses so that they can understand what they're saying to them personally. And so I took the liberty to paraphrase John 21, 15 through 17, where Jesus was talking to Peter. And when they had finished breakfast, I assume we all had breakfast so we can fit in that category today. Jesus said to Simon Peter, and my paraphrase is, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said to Perry, he said to Aaron, he said to the elders, saying to Maranatha Bible Church, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter's response, as ours should be, yes, Lord, you know that we love you. And, he, and Jesus said to them, tend my sheep. He said to them again a second time, Simon, church, elders, Perry, do you love me? And the response again was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, said to us a third time, Son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved, perhaps upset, not understanding why Christ would ask this question again, do you love me? And he responded to him again, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And so as we endeavor to tend our flock and sheep, we feel that this is the direction we need to go unless God closes the door for us again. Thank you. So there you have it. History lesson. Three memorial stones, three stories of how God's worked in our church's life so far. Perry's right when he said information overload. You got a lot of information. Maybe what you need is a big idea. So here's a big idea. We hope you see this morning, and perhaps more accurately are beginning to see, we understand that this is a process. 
hopefully you will begin to see and understand what we mean when we say that we really do believe it's not about us and it's not about a building. That who we are as a church, why we are here, and what God is calling us to do, it is all about, this is the big idea of today's message, it is all about a God who is absolutely faithful. It's all about a God who's absolutely faithful. Faithful to his people, faithful to his promises, faithful to our desire to shepherd his flock and help his kingdom grow. And we are trusting that whether this is the plan or as Perry just said, he redirects us another way that we will continue to follow that plan, however ordinary or unconventional it may be. It's about him. And Father, I pray that you would seal that conviction to our hearts Father, I understand that a message like this is not what we normally anticipate or experience when we come to worship on Sunday, but I think that's okay. Father, I realize that many of us are going to leave with questions. Oftentimes we pray that we will not leave with more questions than when we came. Today may be one of those days where we will, and that's okay too. But Father, I pray that each one of us, from those of us who are involved in leadership and pastoring and eldering and deaconing on down, Father, to the person who may only be here for the first or second time, will one way or another go home pondering, but what is God saying? And what do you want us to do? And how can we help grow your kingdom on this little corner of this particular town at this point in time? Father, we really mean it when we say it's not about the building, it's not about us, it's not about a name and a reputation of our own. Father, we just want to do what's going to lift up, exalt, and spread the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, if that building is the option, we trust that you'll give it to us in your perfect timing. If it's not, we trust you'll provide in some other way because you always provide because you are a God who is faithful. Father, we praise you for your faithfulness today. I pray that we would live in light of it all week. In Jesus' name.